Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. Thank you for everybody out there who has left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you for helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive, that he's about a good work in his church, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus himself has given us some work to do, to spread the good news and to tell the world about who he is, what he has done, and what he has in store for us. So please leave a review if you have not yet. Share this podcast on your social media. It's super easy. Send it to friends and family. Tell your local pastor. Whatever you do, spread the word. Spread the good news that Jesus is alive and that he's about a good work and that he is truly present in the Holy Eucharist. So like I said last week, our conversation with the folks at the St. Lawrence Center at the University of Kansas was so good, we had to break it up into two episodes. So today is the second episode of that amazing conversation. Here we're going to lean in to Pope St. John Paul II's encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia sections 42 through 60. We kind of unpack this section and we give our greatest hits, our takeaways, our gold nuggets from this section. Uh, But why are we going through this? Because he wrote this to the whole church. He wrote this to all the faithful. He wrote this for one purpose, to rekindle Eucharistic amazement. In paragraph six, he tells us that. He wants to rekindle Eucharistic amazement within our hearts. So please buckle up, get ready. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's the episode. I wish I could just read it all to everyone, but I'm not going to, so get yourself a copy. (laughs) Um, But the first line, uh, I'm going to read the first line. So reading the account of the institution of the Eucharist in the Synoptic Gospels, we are struck by the simplicity and the solemnity with which Jesus, on the evening of the Last Supper, instituted this great sacrament. And then um, JP2 goes into talking about the the anointing at Bethany, this Mm. this place in the Gospels, JP2 goes into the, the account of the anointing at Bethany, which is in, mentioned throughout the Stoptic Gospels, in which um, this woman pours this crazy expensive ointment all over Jesus' feet. And then Judas, oh, sweet, sweet Jesus. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, he gets all mad about it. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, like she wasted all of this. She poured yeah. out this on you. Like, this could have been used for the poor. Um, interesting, like, to reflect later on, on, like, Judas's obsession with money in the first place. Yeah. Um, but as I was, like, reading this, reflecting on um, how we can often, often view the Eucharistic celebration as well, in um, particular, like, have you ever thought about like the Lord poured his entire self out for the whole whole church, for all of us? Um, and one could be tempted to say like, wow, what a waste. But actually like, no, it's not a waste. Um, and so just like mm. calling calling to mind the simplicity, the solemnity, but also this like magnitude of the Lord's understanding of all things versus our own and versus Judas's. Yeah. And even like, how are we coming to mass? Are we just coming, checking it off, like checking it off the box? What, what, what checking it, it, checking off the list. it off the list, yeah. or checking, checking the box, checking, checking the, the box. box. <laughs> um, yeah. Or are we pouring everything out? Are we mm-hmm. giving everything at mass? Um, 
the rawness of vulnerability and pure honesty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be like, look, I don't know how to do this exactly, but Lord, this is my sloppy mess heart right now. Mm. Yeah. This is, this is everything I got. Or are we tempted to say, oh, that's just a waste. Mm-hmm. It's just a waste to give everything. It's not going to be To think anything. that you can't give yourself to the Lord sloppily, mm. like messily. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, no, I got to be in my collared shirt and I got to be all... Yeah, we have to do the mass thing. We got to get our family all Gee dressed me. up. We got to go. We got to do the thing. But mm. what is it really about? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think there's an invitation for uh... <laughs> Allie. <laughs> what is it all about, Allie? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Brenna just got no, 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 Give us a little nug. <laughs> oh, man. I think on the other side of it, um, right, we can give we can give Jesus this expensive uh, perfume. But um, I think there's like this invitation for great reverence for the Lord by giving him this this great expensive perfume yeah. um, that we smash, you know, and maybe that's the messiness. Um, but then we get to anoint the Lord, um, anoint his feet with our messiness. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a certain sacredness and a reverence there that, that is beheld, I think. Wow. Like we may only just be able to wipe his face mm. in our poverty. Maybe we don't have such gift mm. to give, but well, you know, we do actually. Yeah. And the, the, the alabaster jar of perfumed oil from Nepal which is what it is. It's like from the Himalayas, this stuff that grows only on the hillside of the Himalayas, like that's our heart. We, right. we wherever we, we are. Right. And it, like we are unique and unrepeatable in the same way as Come that on. perfume is. Yeah. And with that perfume, um, when like studying who this woman is and like what what this came about one thing that you could come to know is that this this alabaster jar this was her entire livelihood Mm -hmm. this was every single thing that she owned um in such a way that she was pouring out like yeah like messiness of our lives but our entire our entire selves our work our Mm -hmm. um our study our leisure our stresses our gifts every single thing yeah. before the lord in such a way of holding nothing back mm-hmm. and it's not like yeah it's not like she just like threw it out there in like a crazy yeah. chaotic way she was intentional with it mm-hmm. right she mm-hmm. she poured it over his feet um in a very anointed way and unrepeated like this was an unrepeatable action yeah. like those types of jars you can't like reseal like it's a one and done kind of deal mm-hmm. and it just it really gets me going to think about how this could have been that woman's inheritance. Mm. This could have been her, her only memory and value from like her father or mother or uh, a priceless item handed down through her family for generations. And how she said, you know what? It's for the Lord. Mm. Mm. Do we have the courage to do the same? To like, mm. yeah, right. Really, like really get at it. Do we have the courage to do the same to take, that which we hold most dear, that which um, we feel safe and secure in, be it, you know, like even investments. Um, Mm. Do we have the courage to pour everything before the Lord? Yeah, like shameless in his eyes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking too of um, the story of St. Francis of Assisi, 
where you know he's riding on his horse and he sees this leper and it's like the most disgusting thing to him mm. um, is this man with leprosy and he comes down from his horse and embraces this man um, potentially you know contracting leprosy himself uh, you know it, like face in him like all the yeah. smells all all of it he says like the most like disgusting and the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. And I heard somebody recently talking about this image of, you know, there's this part of us that's like up on our horse. Mm. And then there's a part of me that is also the leprous man. And it's like this, this other piece of me that like, I don't want to look at, I don't want to acknowledge, yeah. I don't want to touch. Um, but something beautiful happens when like, I, the side of me that's prideful and thinks like I've got all of it together, like um, I'm strong, I'm a good Christian, whatever, I, I feel confident in these things. When I yeah. get down off the horse and embrace like this broken, bleeding, gross side yeah. of me. Yeah. Um, and so when we come to mass, I think I grew up, yeah, thinking like, yeah, you put on your little sweater and your tie and you got to come to church on your pants. horse. Yeah. Like everybody looks like they've got it all together, but in this, this pouring out that mm. we're being invited into, it's like, don't look strong, like pour everything, like pour your weakness, pour your inability. Wow. Like, I don't even get what the heck is going on. I, yeah. I don't know what these people are talking about. I try reading this document. It all goes over my head. Like <laughs> pour that out. Like, God, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't get you, but I want you. I want unity with you. And like that, that place, when I'm able to access that place of vulnerability yeah. and gifting myself with Jesus in the mass, like that's when profound things happen. Yeah. Not when I'm like strong face, muscular Christianity, like I got it all together. Yeah. Mm. I think a question I want to pose is how do we then like nuance and balance, like giving the Lord our brokenness, our messiness, our vulnerability, but also with like honor and respect and seeing like how profound mass mm. is. Like, I don't think any of us in this room are saying, you should wear sweatpants and a t-shirt to mass. <laughs> yeah. So like, how do we nuance both of those things? Yeah, that goes into paragraph 48. Um, <laughs> Good segue. Well. Um, yeah, let's see. I do have something. Yeah. It, it has to do with physicality. So here goes nothing. Um, I think just to kind of keep that vein going, uh, that's a weird way to say something. To stay in that vein, Ali, I think uh, in something in paragraph 47 that he really, uh, that really struck me was how uh, referring to um, this, this sacrifice of the mass, right? How um, the, the, the last supper he did not, or here's what he says, quote, which he made into concrete expressions of the handing over of his body and the shedding of his blood. Like, like Jesus, just hear me out. And if I, if we don't touch, if I don't touch what you just mentioned, then I will find a way to make this better. Uh, like Jesus made the metaphysical reality of transubstantiation, this crazy, intense, like brainy, unbelievable mystery. He made that accessible and understandable in and through his passion. Like Jesus didn't simply just teach the Eucharist to his disciples. He didn't just teach it. Uh, he didn't leave it exclusively at the level of like concept or uh, like intangibility, just like um, aqueous, like, uh, you know, in the air, confusing or whatever. Um, he demonstrated the mystery, uh, 
in and through like his body in and in and through the sacrifice of his body, like through his passion and like just even one step further, like our God, like Jesus is a tactile God. Like he's a sensible God, never abandoning us in our physicality, using our physicality, coming to us in our physicality, through his physicality, through his flesh and blood, like his physical body to demonstrate the unbloody sacrifice of the Eucharist. So like our heart doesn't have to be pretty, like you said, Nick, like we don't have to put on a strong face with the Lord. But like you said, Ali, it's how do you, how do we balance this? Like what's the diet, like this strange dichotomy of like wanting to revere him. And I, I don't think there's a greater act of reverence than just acknowledging who he is. Mm. Like, Lord, you are Lord and I am not. And I'm going to honor you in whatever little way that I can. If that means getting in a suit, great. If that means actually just going to church, great. You know, set the bar high, you know, aim for the stars, land on the moon kind of situation. I don't think the Lord's going to be upset with us trying to just like honor and revere him in whatever uh, capacity that we're able to right now. Like, I don't know. That's Yeah, it's much more of a disposition of heart rather than like, yeah, how are we wanting to revere the Lord? But the external should reflect the the aspirations of your heart and not just the sloppy mess of your heart, right? Yes. Yes. That's what I'm thinking is like, yeah, am I wearing certain clothes because this is what is culturally appropriate and you know i'm going to embarrass myself if not or like i want to be the nicest dressed in there or is this like i don't know i'm thinking about a date night with my wife Mm. Mm. where what my wife like most wants out of a date night is heart-to-heart intimacy and connection but at the same time like it takes a certain form you know i might light candles or put on music or like dress up a little bit or like put put out flowers um but those forms are showing the intention of my heart which is like i want to show you love Mm. and um but if the forms are primary um where i do all those things because that's what you do on a date but i'm not there's no intention of actually sharing myself with her i'm just trying to check the As box ends, of having yeah. our mm. yeah our, our date night for the week or the month or whatever um then it shows through um so i think yeah the externals need to flow from the internal disposition um rather than vice versa yeah, amen dingle dangle <laughs> <laughs> 48 you got some yeah um let me see i'm just gonna start reading it's about halfway through 48 says though the idea of a banquet naturally suggests familiarity the church has never yielded to the temptation to trivialize this intimacy with her spouse by forgetting that he is also her lord and that the banquet always remains a sacrificial banquet marked by the blood shed on golgotha the eucharistic banquet is truly a sacred banquet Mm. in which the simplicity of the signs conceal the unfathomable holiness of god yeah i in the past couple of years, I've gone back to Psalm 23 over and over and over again. And one of the most beautiful lines um, that the Lord speaks to me through is, uh, um, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, like he's inviting me to the altar. Like he sets 
this table up where we come and commune. Um, and he does it in the presence of my enemies. We're like, you know, the, my enemies, the, mm-hmm. the devil is like looking on as I go to the altar at mass, yeah. like and watching this intimacy happen. But at the same time, um, I love at St. Lawrence in our chapel, there's the cross is suspended right over the altar. Mm-hmm. And, um, I love, uh, I love bloody crucifixes. Yeah. Um, real ones, right? Yeah. yeah like yeah. sometimes we, we clean it up so much, but, um, you know, in, uh, the Eucharistic prayer at the, the elevation of, um, the body and the blood, um, you know, even putting myself there, like, yes, there's this intimacy of like, Jesus and I are going to yeah. like become one, come into communion with one another. But at the same time, like coming into like a fuller understanding of what's yeah. happening here, the sacrifice of Jesus and watching like, you know, this blood on the crucifix, like yep. is dripping into this chalice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this body is not just like this clean white piece of bread. Mm-hmm. It is this broken body mm-hmm. of the incarnate son of God. And yeah, it pulls me back into that reality again, that I'm not just a consumer coming to mass to get communion, but mm-hmm. I'm being invited into the sacrifice of Jesus, which is happening here. Um, before to me. fall into the chalice as well. Yeah, I know in the San Damiano cross, the I think there are either I, I think there's saints or angels. I don't know exactly, but I know underneath his is his scourged hands, I believe, or maybe it's side. I forget, but I know there's somewhere on the cross that angels or saints are catching his blood. Mm-hmm. Come on. I wanna I wanna highlight in chapter or paragraph paragraph not chapter seems like a chapter though, um, paragraph forty eight the the use of language here with. Um, banquet familiarity intimacy yeah um simplicity with it it, those words invite us to reverence the mystery of the eucharist even more and and just as you were saying nick the um yeah recognizing what we're doing but then also the the veiled reality of it of um the lord he doesn't come to us in in such a bloody manner because I, I don't know about you guys, but I would probably turn the other way and be like, uh, <laughs> do you need a first aid kit? Um, but instead, he he veils himself in such a way that's invitational mm. to draw us into the mystery to yeah. further discover, um, yeah, as Aquinas calls it, the bread of angels, the bread of angels. Yeah. Um, yeah, what humility, though the Lord has himself, yeah. but he also invites us into, as, as it says in paragraph 48, Lord, I am not worthy that you to have you come under my roof. These same words which we say yeah. every single mass. You were just talking about like the language of it and yeah, he veils himself, but also in something that's familial. And it is a banquet and it is a table, something that's, yeah, something we do every day. We go to a dinner table with our family, but we're being asked like, okay, now here, enter into my family. Yeah. Enter in as a daughter, enter in as a son, as as I come to you as a father that is so sacrificial that I'm going to pour out my entire yeah. body for you. Mm. Come on. Yeah. We just need open eyes, open mm-hmm. hearts to like see yeah. this. Mm. Part, it's like nobody, like none of us, I, I don't think, I don't want to speak for everybody, but like I don't think anybody listening or any of us have ever seen somebody so mangled as Jesus actually was. Mm-hmm. Like someone just absolutely physically thrashed and literally torn to bits 
literally like they uh i think it's um isaiah i forget 53 but just how like they can see my bones Mm. like the passion of the christ i think just does an amazing job um like ripping the skin off of his Mm. like chest Mm. to see the ribs sticking out like like it's just i don't know that's like okay sorry this is pg-13 i guess but just the like okay that's the jesus mm. who did this mm. and who's like making himself present to us and available to us and also at the same time resurrected jesus but like imagine being in a the best party that you've ever been to for me it's the it's my, my wedding reception, which was the first large event to be in the St. Lawrence basement after it got renovated. So that's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> um, and how we had pizza, we had wings and salad and we had beer and it was just an amazing party. No, nobody had a care in the world. We just, we didn't eat nearly as much as we should have. We were hungry, my wife and I, uh, but like how just this, beautiful banquet where nobody was wanting for anything Mm. and just caught up in joy where all social inhibitions are gone worry and anxiety completely non-existent in this room i'm imagining the lord there too and how he might be like talking to other people or whatever and then across the room he looks at me and he locks eyes with me and he smiles like that kind of banquet joy Mm. I think something beautiful to just ponder to ponder about banquets as well is they point to a greater they point to something greater yeah. of you have a wedding reception because you're celebrating the wedding you're celebrating the reality of marriage the two becoming one um and likewise likewise with the math as, mass as we were both saying yeah. that it, it's veiled but it's the lord crucified truly fully bloody mm. um and, and how, what, what it is, is it's an invitation to greater faith. Like yeah. a wedding reception is an invitation to a, a greater prayer and greater like love of this couple and love right. of the sacrament and also love of the church. Yeah. Um, and likewise, the mass day by day is a greater invitation towards more and more. In Catechesis, the Good Shepherd, just a little, little side nugget. Come on. Catechesis, the Good Shepherd, which is for, it's catechesis for kids to invite them into a greater understanding of the mystery of the mass and a greater participation in that. And one of the works is the work of the Good Shepherd. And when the children are first presented it, they, the work is just this like green field with a fence around it and there are sheep and a shepherd. Yeah. But as the child comes to understand what, what's happening here, praying with Psalm 23, praying with the mass, the sheep begin to turn into people. And then an altar is placed in mm. the work as well. And then a lamb is put upon the altar. And so this same... It, can we have this same eyes towards the mass mm. of like initially maybe we just see like the Eucharist as being held up this piece of bread but right. can we come to understand a bloody crucified Lord and can we understand that he's actually the lame who was slain wow. and that he's mm. actually like the king of the universe inviting us into that wedding feast like like a celebration part of me is wondering uh like what is it that makes a celebration a celebration like I I could be wrong but the lifting of something up like I, I, I think of, um, I'm very not Jewish. I, you know, I don't know the first thing about like, like <laughs> Jewish a- wedding celebrations or whatever, but I do know that they put them up on chairs yeah. and they carry them around. They do something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm like, yes, yes. And the same thing goes for like um, the the Holy Eucharist. Mm. It's the lifting up. It's elevated. Right? And is that what makes it a celebration? I don't know. I think it's a part of it, but. Also pinatas. <laughs> <laughs> Please not at mass. <laughs> but I think we're we're onto something here. It's yeah, we need to recognize this bloody, messy Jesus that has died for us, yeah. but it's also our victory and it's something yeah. to yeah. be celebrating. And to going back to what we were saying before, when we bring our messiness and mm-hmm. our brokenness to Jesus, it's not like we're just like sad. Like yeah. when we mm. do when we do bring him that in a sacrifice, yep. he changes it. He mm-hmm. claims a victory over it. He brings resurrection to yep. it. He brings a wholeness to it. It's not just like just come and be sad Preach, like it's a victory Alec, and it's a celebration yeah yeah i was just blessed in some of these later paragraphs it talking about the role of art and architecture um within the liturgy and one of the criticisms i've heard um from non-catholics and non-christians uh, about the catholic church is like and y'all spend so much money on these churches and like why you guys have so much if you just sold it and like had a simple little church like that'd be fine you could give that money to the poor and i, I heard that argument uh, most recently in regards i think it was somewhere in new york they're putting in this like brand new organ mm. um and it was like an incredibly expensive project and people were saying like if you really followed jesus you mm. know um, then like you'd actually spend this money on the poor, which one sounds a little bit like Judas, um, in the gospels, just a little, (laughs) but two, um, yeah. One of the things they pointed out is, you know, who, who has access to the most beautiful music in the world? It's, it's largely the rich, Mm. those with financial wealth, um, are able to pay for tickets to go and experience beautiful arts. But what the Catholic Church does, one, yes, as, as um, he's talking about in these paragraphs, like it elevates um, and points us towards the reality of what's happening. But also it's it's a, a gift freely given to the world. Yeah. Like there's no barrier of entry to come into a church and experience yep. this artistic beauty and yep. mastery. And I think that's that's really profound. Yeah. Um, that it's freely given, one, to the Lord, but also to humanity. Yeah. Um, even as I was living and traveling around Europe a little bit, like to see all of these uh, folks, some pilgrims, some just tourists, yeah. like walking through these beautiful churches, like there's something there that like lifts our hearts and our minds to something transcendent. Yeah. You know, and then when you see just spaces, our conference room at St. Lawrence right now, we're going to renovate it one day. But right now, <laughs> Hopefully. It, it's very utilitarian. Um, and it's very ugly. Like it gets the job done, but the, you don't walk into that room and like feel a sense of of wow or awe. But the beauty of walking into um, a beautiful church, yep, it lifts our hearts towards the reality. It, of it lowers, yeah. It puts your jaw on the ground. Mm. Yeah, I think the crazy thing about it all, though, is that the Lord is so profound that He will enter into any space. There's this. Um, church in Cleveland that we would often go to for their evening masses. And it was just this rinky dink church on the side of the road that I think they probably had 12 parishioners total that went to this mass. And yeah, the, the priest would come over from the rectory like one minute before mass started. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, some 
random parishioner playing the guitar kind of poorly bless his heart um but in that the lord still chose to show up like Mm. in this in this church that had needed desperately needed to be renovated sure that like you know the the wood was exposed and stained and you know every pew in the church was you know would squeak every time that you would sit in it um, but still the Lord chose to show up in that, in that place. And then it, it all points back to the fact that the Lord was literally born in a stable next to animals. Yeah. Like I, I just got finished watching the, the episode of the chosen where, um, yeah, they, they show Jesus being born and yeah. Joseph was literally cleaning, cleaning like horse poop out of the stable for Mary to like sit down and birth Jesus. Like it's just wild, yeah. but on the same on the same end, like these beautiful churches allow us to lift our hearts, right? And allow us to enter into this like profound worship of yeah. the Lord and remind us of the the sacredness and, and remind us that Jesus is king. Yeah. Like yeah. these are his, yeah, his throne um, and to reverence him in that way. Yeah. Mm. What a tremendous responsibility for artists and architects um, who are tasked with making these spaces mm. beautiful and a, a real responsibility to um, uphold the Lord's lordship um, yeah. over all created things and to give glory in that. And I, I just want to challenge all of, all of you who may be pouring into churches in this way through art um, or through architecture, through design, through, even through engineering, actually, mm. um, to create this space in such a way that it is fitting for a place of worship, mm. a fittingness, a a holding into account like what is actually happening there because yeah. yes absolutely the lord like he will show up anywhere yeah. um anywhere we invite him to but again it's like calling all of the hearts and minds and can we can we catechize through the very look of something mm-hmm. can we speak the story of salvation through the walls and through the art and through the architecture through the floor um in any way to draw people to the lord and with with that just last little nugget yeah go um paragraph 52 a a particular particular thing um at the bottom it says our time to calls for a renewed awareness and appreciation of liturgical norms as a reflection of and a witness to the one universal church made present in every celebration of the eucharist so just just knowing knowing of our prayers and a reminder to pray for priests particularly and seminaries who form priests to uphold and to form the faithful in what is what is right worship what is the way in which we are invited to praise our lord yeah when you're talking about just like catechizing through the art and the walls and the windows of our churches i even notice in my son calvin when we go to a church that's like has the stained glass windows and the paintings his behavior because he he knows like there's something different different about this place yeah. than our house or wherever we're going to like there's something more sacred here and he mm. yeah he's drawn more into that beauty for sure mm-hmm. yeah dude it was so funny um like <sighs> i'm gonna redo that because i'm dude are you kidding me we dude? say dude all the we, time we, we really do, do. This is a safe oh my place. goodness okay so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll embrace the dude. Okay. Embrace uh, the dude. So check this out. This past, I think it was this, not yesterday, but the weekend prior, my son, uh, my four-year-old, Nick, I think we're similar. We've got three kiddos, four, two, and six months. So we'll be in that five, three, and one in just a, just a hot sec. But mm-hmm. um, 
but my oldest Josiah, <laughs> he um, like super having having a hard time at mass this mass, and he's you know really you know rowdy and just like wiggly as toddlers are. But he's not a toddler; he's a pre-K. Whatever. I need to get my moms out there. I'm sorry, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, he uh, before for the consecration. So we were at Holy Spirit Overland Park, and Father Andrew Strobel was uh, the celebrant and. Uh, he has this like um, this this short pause before he actually says the words of consecration, and it's silent, dead silent. My son Josiah, he goes, "Take this." <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. My parents literally came home from that mass and talked to me about that. Oh my god, <laughs> that's wild. So that's good. wild. So, yeah. So my son made everybody in the place chuckle, like that's everybody, awesome. but. He knew the sacredness of the moment. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. wild. And what contributed to the sacredness of the moment, if not the, uh, the the family tradition of going to mass, the fact that we're going to mass, like just in the physical space, yeah. like the 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 crucifix behind, um, like in in the sanctuary of Holy Spirit, just beautiful. Mm. There's no crucifix like it that I've seen, and just the there is beauty in simplicity, um, and there's also beauty like in in complexity. Because complexity, when done well and with integrity, is also simple. Mm-hmm. And not to get all too deep on you. You want to go in the deep end? Come on in. Three <laughs> attributes of beauty, uh, integrity, clarity, and resonance. Like Aquinas talks about claritas, consonantias, and integritas being the three pieces that make something beautiful, beautiful. Think of a statue of Mary. And if her nose is just a little too long, you're going to know. You'll mm-hmm. feel it like the it's going to take away from the wow value, the consonances, the resonance. If the hands aren't like super defined or you can't see the, the, the bends in the fingers or something, you'd be like that. That's not super clear. It's going to be a little lacking. You know, if you see a picture of something and it's pixelated, it's not it's not it's just not going to be as beautiful as something pixel perfect. You know what I'm talking about? I think to adding adding to what you're saying and drawing from it of. Can we, can, I'm not a church architect. I wish I was. Maybe we should go back to school. <laughs> um, but can we, can we build churches? Can we decorate churches? Can yeah. we adorn churches in such a way that so clearly states that they mm-hmm. are what they're supposed to be, yeah. that they're living in a line, that living, they are in a line with truth yeah. um, and portray that in a world that so desperately needs truth and needs yeah. a clarity of truth. Mm-hmm. Can we do that through beauty? Yeah. I, I want to submit something. Nick, please talk. <laughs> okay. Um, no, you were asking earlier, what what do we see happen in the church? And yeah. I think around this conversation with art and um, architecture, one of the things I see happening in the church today is this value being given, a renewed value being given to the aesthetics of faith. So even yeah. as a parent, like when we first started looking for you know Catholic books, it was like either you're going to get great content with terrible artwork or great <laughs> artwork with terrible content. Yeah. But then even as the years have gone on, there's more and more that's on offer because people are like, no, there there is something important about the aesthetic value, the artistic value mm-hmm. of our faith. And I see some of these artists out there that yeah. are just doing some amazing work, you know, yes, outside of liturgy, but also within liturgy. and. Yeah. Um, the architecture and art within our churches. And uh, hearing somebody speak recently uh, about what made the church able to be 
the most excellent purveyor of art in the Middle Ages is that we had both the Michelangelos, the artists, and the Medicis, mm-hmm. like those who were funding Come the on. art. And I think this is, yeah, as we hear these capital campaigns for like a new church being built or renovations on a church or yeah. preservation of a church, I think part of our role is to offer yep. our, our finances in order to yeah. um, be those people. And, and right. I'm not going to be a Medici, but <laughs> I could do something, you know, and right there's, on, there's right those on. out there who might be looking like, oh, I want like, I want to see the proof, like what's the effect of, you know, my donation to something. Um, but also in this, yes, there is an effect in the beauty lifting hearts, but mm-hmm. it's also just a gift towards the Lord yeah. to invest in these sacred spaces. There is somebody out there who you have the means and you're, you have the, the hunger for more. And I wonder how many of us really are giving until it hurts. Mm. Part of me would even submit to you all that, like, is it truly a sacrifice unless it hurts a little? Like, am I giving sacrificially and not just giving? But yeah, I mean, you want to see the fruits of your labor, go to Rome, mm. go to any metropolis and, and go to the Basilica, go to the cathedral and bear witness. Yeah. Yeah. And too, as we were talking about simplicity, like something be simple and mm-hmm. beautiful, like I've seen those chapels, I've seen those churches yeah. that do not have, you know, stained glass being shipped over mm-hmm. from Europe. Sure. Um, there's small, simple spaces, but done very, very beautifully. Um, and yeah, it's possible, you know, whatever, whatever size church you're a part of, whatever, you know, funding is available, like it's possible to do well. Mm -hmm. Part of me reflects just how, when I was in high school coming into the faith and how I went to Corpus Christi and Lawrence for the first time and just, you know, you make a sound in there and it takes like three or four seconds for it to dissipate no matter how loud it is. But you know, it's just, he's giant, like, bare wooden cross beams holding the place up and it's it just you know it's tiled it's not like trying to wow you with like wow there's marble everywhere and it's <laughs> it's all white i mean this is kansas like you know it's this looks like kansas this mm-hmm. reflects the environment and how how beautiful it is and and just like like simplicity something that we take for granted so often is like the gloria the gloria done well made me go home and look up the words of that song when i didn't know the first thing about church because I was floored by the organ, mm-hmm. by everybody singing the Gloria, and I didn't know the first thing about church really at all. So just don't underestimate the value of what your gift could do. Because like, if it weren't for the, the resonance in that room, then I, I could not be here. Any closing thoughts, guys? Any, any other thoughts? I think just the last in paragraph 51, he talks about enculturation, and that's mm. just like looking at the culture and where like where we are and where we're living and yeah. um yeah like not every parish might not have the medicis if you want to keep on that right. analogy or might not have the resources that um a different parish might or a different place might and so what does beauty look like for that culture in that particular mm-hmm. place um yeah i don't yeah it's a good word you know what i mean like i don't think that there needs to be this comparison every parish needs to look like there's importance of each parish looking different or each church looking different and what's the beauty look like in that space right yeah and i think that goes back to the the forms are not primary Mm -hmm. yeah right like the heart the intention um 
Yeah, shows forth. So obviously there's an objective reality of what's going on in the mass. There's also an objective reality to the people yeah. of that community yeah. and their culture. And yeah, to harmonize both things. Well, that's a tension of being Catholic, right? It's like the both and. <laughs> right. It's neither. Yeah. It's not either or. It's always the both and. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool to see people wrestling with how do we live the both and well. Thank you guys for being on today. Thank you for your ministries. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing Jesus to the University of Kansas. Thank you for making Jesus a Jayhawk. <laughs> Father Mitchell's going to love that. Um, you can tell um, but seriously, like you guys have responded to the call. And uh, on behalf of church, just thank you. Because you probably don't get thanked a lot. You guys rock. Dangle, dangle. <laughs> For more information about the Eucharistic revival, or what that is even, or if you know what it is and you want to access to a library of resources, prayer resources, formation resources, preaching resources, check out archkck.org slash revival. If this podcast has blessed you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A, a nice one. Five stars would be great. You know, I just want to submit that to you. Five stars would, would be great. And uh, share it with your friends and family. Like you can share this episode, um, share it on your social media, get the word out. Jesus is alive and he's about a good work and let's go. This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>